You're listening to highlights from One Planet Podcast's interview with Doug Larson, author of Cliff Ecology, The Urban Cliff Revolution, and The Dogma Ate My Homework. This podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. Well, I think growing slowly and patiently and with fewer demands on the environment in which you live is just as healthy and perhaps more healthy than the endless hunger for more and more and more, which we see as a characteristic of our species. I think that I think like a scientist, but I'm also aware that in that thinking, I've got bias and wishes and colors and flavors. My own interest in these poor stunted trees on the escarpment probably goes back to my upbringing. I had a difficult childhood with a father who insisted that he was right about everything all the time. And I'm sure that in the work that I did in my early years as a scientist, I was trying to find some system that would not argue back to me the way I had experienced as a child. I loved working with organisms that were themselves repressed by nature. And that's why I loved working on the tundra. It's a wonderful thing to stand like Gulliver on top of an entire ecosystem that's only three inches tall. And you sort of ask yourself, am I any happier than it? And I wasn't. And I found that tremendously thrilling to have a different perspective that I know that if I followed my father's directives, I never would have been allowed to have. Well, I have no religious affiliation, but I feel a close connection to the planet. It brought me here, and after I die, I will go back to it. So I feel that the entire planet is a living being with 20 million species that are its components. And I think it's a, it's a wonderful thing to think about existence in that way, because it opens up the possibility of you just becoming part of the universe. I tell my grandchildren all the time, and they, they don't actually believe me when I'm telling them this. You are made of stardust, that everything that's on this planet was the result of a supernova explosion that took place billions of years ago, generated all the heavy elements, all the lighter elements, and everything that eventually coalesced to become the planet Earth. And I've even told her that most of the biomass that is in each of us was once in other biomass in the form of dinosaurs and metasequoia trees through the Carboniferous period. And so the Earth has been endlessly recycling all of the things that are within it. And that forms as much a spiritual base for me as any sort of concept of a deity that's been in charge of the system. Absolutely. There's a whole chapter in the Dogma book, and it's called Hope for Humans. Chapter is based on the work of Harold Morowitz. He's a thermodynamic physicist of great renown. And the point about consciousness, if you... If you examine it from a psychological evolutionary point of view, is that it provides the ultimate capacity in our species to avoid all kinds of pressures, threats, and other things that impinge on our ability to succeed. Evolution as a force in nature is inevitable. It's not something magical, nothing short of inevitable. The things that can persist in environmental fluctuations will and consciousness in our species provided in the whole history of the evolution of life on Earth, consciousness provided us with the capacity to, as Richard Dawkins says, almost instantly change our minds through the use of memes when we see a better way of doing anything. So the process of biological evolution in our species might have stopped, but the process of mimetic evolution continues, and consciousness is the basis of that mimetic evolution. The fact is, you and I might start off talking about something. You might have a view about something that I disagree with, and you and I might then discuss it. And if I suddenly see that your view on the topic is better than mine, 
instantly my ecology, my behavior, what I do can be changed by me absorbing your view. Didn't require new genes. It simply required new thinking. I mean, this is what I love about this mixture of art and science that I've tried to put into my career. As a guitar maker, I kept on doing experiments after experiments in the basement. The first instrument I built, I took it to a friend of mine who actually has a guitar making business. And he looked at it and he said, well, Doug, this instrument has the approximate shape of a guitar. But it's not a guitar. It's a piece of junk. And he was right. So what I found is it's thrilling as an artist or as a scientist to pursue something, even if you don't actually achieve the thing that you're pursuing. It's the attempt that expresses the humanity. Those of us who are not ourselves computers, I assume that I'm talking to a real person right now. And you assume that you're talking to me, even if I were a, a bot. If the bot would come up with an idea that I, as a human, hadn't come up with, and you, as a listener to the bot, can see the logic, the improved logic, from that AI version of Doug Larson, then all that's happened is that you have benefited yourself from a product of the evolution of thinking that other humans had who made me the bot. So ultimately, it doesn't matter whether we use AI to improve our existence on this planet or we just do it through our own biology. It's all part of humanity. It's all part of what we are creating with our consciousness. So I'm not against AI at all. Now, I must admit, if I were teaching first-year biology and I was asking students to write an essay, how do I know that they wrote it as opposed to using AI to, to write it? I don't know. Maybe I'd stop assigning essays. Like we talked about at the beginning of their discussions, the loss of the capacity for critical thinking because people are communicating in a non-peer-reviewed form, right? And social media is like going back to manuscript books. And sometimes you can't even find the website that gave you initial information. So as long as that's a situation that it becomes impossible to know for sure, if AI generates an essay on, say, capitalism, if a person in the class where the kid is writing that essay using AI, if another kid puts in a different keyword in the request for the AI version of that article on capitalism, that's not going to be the same article. So again, there's no capacity for those AI-produced documents to be identical. There is no reason for doom and gloom in our species. The evolution has produced the most amazing organism that is capable of almost instantaneous change for the better. And I didn't know that when I was a kid, but I think I sensed it. I think I sensed that all these other 20 million species knew something we didn't know. And that was, there's always hope if you let it out of the bag. We're always willing to say that we're right to other people. But the joy comes from realizing that the truth eventually comes out. And it's by the inexorable floating of science to the surface by people who say they're wrong. They think it's a sign of weakness. And in my view, it's the ultimate sign of strength in a politician to say, yeah, I was wrong last week. I was wrong last month. I was wrong last year. Yeah, we're always looking for better ideas. And so if you've got one, let us know. Politicians think it's a sign of weakness to change their minds. And I think, are you kidding? Evolution is selecting for people to change their minds all the time. That's what works in nature. Evolution is the process by which things which are better replace things which aren't. Changing your mind requires that. We hope you've enjoyed this program and listening to the highlights of this podcast. If you'd like to get involved in One Planet Podcast or learn more about environmental projects, click on the subscribe button. Thank you for listening.